One more time. My chains are gone. One more time. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Is that how you describe the grace that you've received from God? Are you walking through life shackled by chains that you can't seem to shake? Or have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? That His mercy endures forever? That His love is everlasting? That He can save to the uttermost? Do you know Jesus the way the Bible says we can know Jesus? Intimately, personally, powerfully. If your life is spinning out of control and you feel like you don't have any answers, I've come to tell you this morning from the pulpit here at Grace Covenant Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, we know the one who holds all the keys of history in his hand. We know the one who can speak peace when the winds and waves are raging on the bow of your ship. He can stand out and just say a word and he can keep you in the midst of the storm. We know the one who can keep you through all eternity. We know the one that's worth living for and worth dying to self for. And his name is Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 24 this morning. I felt a deep sense of constraint. That's the only word I can use from the Lord to talk about what we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes. I'll give you the title slide in just a moment. I'll touch a verse. But like so many of you, I have watched in horror as the scenes have unfolded from the other side of the globe, from Israel, for these past seven days plus. The terrorist attacks that rock the world, though, are nothing new. Hamas has been hell-bent on evil since its inception, and so have other terrorist organizations that have attacked sovereign nations but I'm not here to talk politics this morning. Tensions in the, Middle East, in the Middle East are nothing new. They happened way back in Genesis is where they have their beginning. Wars are nothing new. Evil is nothing new. But week after week, we seem to be confronted with some new slice of evil in front of our eyes in almost real time. And it can be scary. But it's different when the people of God see Israel in the newsreel. It's different. You see, when, when you look at what Scripture says about the beginning of the end, you see some incredible parallels playing out in our news feeds even now. This morning, I'm convinced that there will be two responses to the text from Jesus today in God's Word. I think there will be great encouragement and marching orders for the Christian. And I believe, and this may sound a little crass and uncouth, but I'm praying that there will be great terror for the poser and the unbeliever this morning. Biblical prophecy is unfolding in front of us, but it has been for a couple of generations. That all of us, whether lost or saved, Christian or non-Christian, will realize it's later 
than you think. But I've come to tell you this morning, in times like these, God is still in control. God is not reacting and reactive in His dealings with humanity. God is not reactive in His dealings with terrorist organizations. God is not reactive to political systems that are corrupt and seem hell-bent on pushing people away from truth. God is not reactive when evil is so easily visible to us. He is the King of glory. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is all-powerful. He's not even rattled His saber on the throne yet. He is going to return soon, personally, to put down evil once and for all. Let the church say amen. He's going to put an end to human history as we know it. He's going to make the heavens and the earth brand new. And He's going to put us, yes you, yes me, and I know me, and sometimes I wonder if God knows exactly what He's doing, but He's going to let me be a joint heir with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I get to rule and reign with Jesus for all eternity. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, and neither do you or that big 30 3,000-page volume book you've got on your desk this morning. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. It's just going to be awesome. One songwriter said, Won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with joy bells all ringing. Won't it be wonderful there? I don't know what joy bells are. I don't know if they'll be in heaven, but I do know it'll be wonderful to be with Jesus for all eternity. No more sin. No more suffering. No more heartache. And it's coming soon. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, we do not lose heart. Take a moment and read that first sentence to yourself quietly. We, that's us, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Church family, our God is good. He is holy. He is righteous. He is loving. He is sovereign over everything. Let the church say amen. amen. This morning, some of you, I'm just going to say, have been in church a long time. I don't mean this morning. It's not been that long yet. I mean, you've been in church services a long time, and maybe you've been in biblical prophecy series before. Let me just assure you this morning, I have no charts that are the size of this thing I'm going to get out. I'm not doing timelines or graphic imagery or anything like that. We're not going to get deep into the weeds of uh, pre, post, ah, all the things. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, may the Lord bless you. It's a beautiful, ignorance can be a beautiful thing. I'm not going to get into all the weeds about that. What, what I am going to do is just tell you this. I've found that the more I study eschatology, that's the fancy Bible word for end times, the more I recognize that God has purposefully shrouded some things in mystery, I think just to keep us on ready. I think we ought to live in a state of readiness. I think we ought to live like the old time preachers used to say, how you're living this week, would you be pleased for Jesus to come back and catch you living that way? Not that He's coming to say, I got you, I caught you, right? That's not what I'm saying. But that He would be pleased that you were on and about the Father's business. It's challenging when we come to Matthew 24 
Because this particular passage, Jesus mixes language that he hasn't mixed in previous texts. He's mixing prophetic and apocalyptic language here. And it's, it's difficult. The phrasing is difficult. It's challenging because Jesus makes very few distinctions as to which time in history he's going to point to. It's arduous because there's not a consensus among trusted Christian scholars as to what it all means. Some of your favorite authors that you would go and hear at a teaching conference have different views, same platform, different views, on Matthew 24. I mean, I've got guys that are published by the same publishing company attend the same church and they see it differently. Boy, wouldn't you like to attend their Bible classes? That'd be something. That being said, I don't want you to ever be afraid of prophecy in Scripture. If you are, you're going to have to skip a whole lot of Scripture because a lot of it's prophecy. You shouldn't be afraid of apocalyptic portions of Scripture. What we do when we come to texts like this is we ask, just like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit to get out His holy highlighter and to help us see Jesus in the text. Because that's the point of it all, is Jesus. Not when this is going to happen or if that's going to happen and will the church be here? Or is America this? And, I, and I'm Give me a break. It's about Jesus. The King coming in glory. In times like these, that's the title of the thought this morning. In times like these, the church has a plan. Now, there are plenty of texts in the Bible I could have gone to, but my mind went to this because I think your mind went to the phrase wars and rumors of wars. Anytime we hear something happening with Israel, I hear Christians use that phrase a lot. And so that's why I believe the Lord brought me here. Before I run to the application and give you the plan of action, some of you are looking ahead on the digital notes. You've got it. Please don't leave. Just hang with me for a few more minutes. I, I want to tell you something. I want to look at this text and see what is here and what's not here. I think that's helpful. Pascal said, in the Bible, there's enough clarity to enlighten the elect and enough obscurity to keep us all humble. <laughs> and that we come to face to face when it comes to prophecy about the end times. When the Hamas terrorists unleashed a surprise terrorist attack on Israel from the Gaza Strip, it was alarming. The destruction of life and property should make us ache to our core and long for the days when there will be no more war. We don't celebrate a culture of violence. We don't expect uh, nations to just lay back and let violence happen to them, especially the nation of Israel. We do expect for sovereign nations to act accordingly to protect and defend their people. But when Jewish lives are lost, watch this, I need you to take your political hat off for a moment and hear the Christian heart behind this. When Jewish lives are lost, regardless of what nation they're in, but when they're lost, we grieve that many die without knowing the Messiah. When Muslim lives are lost, we grieve that they will spend eternity separated from God because they have not repented and trusted King Jesus. When good, upright, moral citizens that occupy pews on a weekly basis die without Jesus, they have the same eternal destiny that terrorists do and those who deny Christ do. 
our heart breaks when death occurs because we want everybody to love Jesus. When the world's eyes are on Israel, though, our antenna goes up as biblical Christians. Why? Because the Word of God has much to say about Israel. From a biblical perspective, two points, so many to make here this morning. This is not a ten-parter, though. I'm going to try to do it all in one sermon. When, our, when we hear about Israel, the reason our antenna goes up is because Israel is the geographical center of the world. Now you say, Mel Pastor Chad, I am in my fifth year of geography. I button on the bottom button when I do this voice. And the prime meridian and the equator do not intersect in Israel. We just had that on a test. You're right. Let me take you to the authorized text, though, in Ezekiel. Chapter number 5, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries around her. I've got a news flash for some of us good old red-blooded, red, white, and blue Americans. America is not the center of the universe. <laughs> Amen, brother. Don't hear what I didn't say. I'm grateful for this nation. I'm grateful for the gospel exports this nation has been privileged to fund for many, many years. But we're a nation full of sinners just like everybody else. Israel is also the religious center of the world. Remember, that's where the Garden of Eden was planted in that region. In this land, God called Abraham. Remember, Israel was first a promise to Abraham, and then it was a person in Jacob, and then another people came through Jacob, and that's what Israel was, and then it was a promise again, and then they were punished and purged from the land, and then it's the promise of a soon returning Messiah. It's where Jesus was born. The Ten Commandments were gave there. Jesus taught there. He lived there. He suffered there. He bled there. He died there. Jesus ascended to heaven from there, and He's coming back to set His feet down on the Mount of Olives there. You can see why God calls Israel the apple of His eye in Zechariah. The Abrahamic covenant predates any political recognition of any sovereign nation. God didn't need the UN's permission to bring Israel back home. He did it because it brought Him joy and glory. Knowing what we know, when we see things escalating around the world, we ask questions like the disciples did. Now look in your Bible. This verse is not on the screen. In, in Matthew 24, verse 3, Jesus has just said something about the temple. And then the disciples said, Tell us then, when will these things be? And what will the sign of your coming be for the end of the age? I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus says. What did He say? Did He give them a date? Did he say 1980s? No, I'm glad he didn't say that, aren't you? Some, some preachers have said some foolish dates and foolish things. Did he say, as soon as you see this happen, this is going to happen? No, that was not his first response. What did he say? Look at verses 4 and 5. See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. What's God's plan of action for us in times like these? Number one, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Now, you all know this over the past, we Americans know this probably as good or better than anybody from the news feeds of our life, right? 
the whole phrase fake news coming out and you got to get five sources now to figure out what's going on with anything in the world. I, 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 I see that. I don't ever react to a news story in my feed until I see it in two or three sections. And in, even then I'm going, I don't know, let me call somebody smart like, uh, uh, Jim, have you heard anything about this? Or uh, Bill, um, Bill Wolf seems to be, have his finger right on the pulse of what all the news feeds are. I get them in the emails. Some of us are blessed with emails from Bill Wolf, the colonel. But, but you just want to make sure you want to validate. It's hard for us to fact check with the tools that we have. I get all that. But I, I want you to put that aside. I'm not talking about be careful which 24-hour news cycle you're listening to. Jesus is saying, be careful who you give your heart to for the truth. Anyone that makes their thing bigger than Jesus is leading you the wrong direction. And we've got churches that make eschatology their thing bigger than Jesus. And there are churches that make gifts bigger than Jesus. And there are churches that make doctrine bigger than Jesus. And there are churches that make their slice of worship bigger than Jesus. No, no, no. Be careful who you listen to. This thing is all about King Jesus. If we're going to follow a story that matters the most, we've got to follow the bloodline of the Lamb. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Make no mistake, this is warfare for your mind and your heart. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Some of you are so good at identifying the sin in others, God's wondering if you might take a few minutes to do a little introspection, go to war with your own mind, and lay your life down to follow Jesus. Be careful who you listen to. Anybody that's leading you to a thing or, oh, I hate to go here, but i got to say it because Christianity loves movements. Be careful of a movement. You just get up every day, surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the Spirit and let Him move you where He wants to move you. You know where it'll be? Death to self and proclamation of the Gospel. How do I know I'm in God's will? You're telling somebody about Jesus. Yeah, but which job should I take? Whichever one you can tell somebody about Jesus at. Well, they won't let me do that at work. Then you better make enough money to fund telling people about Jesus outside your work. <laughs> Jesus begins carefully uh, to dance through prophecy in this choreographed apocalyptic language that he uses in verse 6. Look at what he says. And you will hear, you will hear with your ears, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. I want to stop here for just a moment and note the second command in God's plan of action. The first is, be careful who you listen to. The second is, don't be alarmed. Now take a deep breath and process that. Don't be alarmed. If there are voices in your life telling you to sell everything you got and run to the hills because they read that in a scripture somewhere, I'm not telling you not to buy mountain property. We love Boone. But I'm saying fear is a terrible driver. Let Jesus have the keys and His Word be what fuels your 
wisdom in your life. Be led by a spirit, not fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Don't be alarmed. With all of our education, our innovation, our wealth, our ingenuity, our communication skills, our connectivity in 2023, it doesn't take a scholar to see that this world is broken. There's the phrase, wars and rumors of wars. And yet, God designed this world perfectly. Have you thought about that? Perfectly. He designed it perfectly to display His beauty and His purpose all around us. The New Testament even records, even in its broken state, it's enough to point people that there's a Creator. The Bible tells us that God planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together beautifully in harmony. Genesis 1 said, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So what happened? How did we get from that to wars and rumors of wars? Man sinned. Humanity broke the one rule that it had. You say, I wouldn't have done that. Okay, all right. Man's sin. We see it in this world. Everything's broken because of it. We see it in our institutions. We see it in our own lives as well. The, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. We can justify anything. But the end is the way to death. We know this. We see this. It's on display in the Middle East conflict. It's on display in the crime in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's on display in the imaginations of our own hearts. But Jesus said when the wars are raging, don't be alarmed. He didn't say don't be concerned. As these news reports are coming out, we have been heartbroken to the point of having to catch our breath on some of the devastation. And I'm not going to go there for sensational sake, but be careful in your research of all that's happened because it's worse than you think. He didn't say stick your head in the ground and don't be aware of what's going on. He didn't say disengage and come out and, and, and be completely separated from all of life and humanity. He didn't say that. He just said don't be alarmed. And then he says something that's really hard to hear. Look back at verse 6 at the phrase. He says, this must take place. Do you ever read some verses in the Bible and you go, really? Have you ever had some things happen in your life and when nobody else was around, you looked up to the God and said, really, Lord, this? I've got to deal with this now? I've got to go through this? I thought I was faithful. I'm trying to do all the right things. Why am I having to deal with this? Why am I having to deal with this? How about when your friends say something like, how could a loving God allow so much evil? Just a side note for a great evangelistic spiritual conversation. When somebody asks you that, just gently ask them, how do you know He's loving? And see where they take you. How could this happen? I was reminded recently by a really good pastor friend of mine, who pastors in Sanford or in uh, Maine, and uh, Summit, Maine is the church. He works with uh, Joni and friends. He does a lot of speaking for them at events. And Joni Erickson Tata said years ago, and I'd forgotten about this, but it's powerful. Listen, sometimes God's 
God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. You say, well, I'm not sure I like that. I I don't know how biblical that is. Look at Israel, Old Testament, allowing them to be devastated to accomplish his purpose and plan for them. Look at Calvary. Look at the persecution of the church through the A's. God displayed this so many times through the devastation and defeat of his people in the Old Testament. At Calvary, I said, he's allowed it in your life too, if you're honest. He's, He's permitted some things that were awful to accomplish some things that he loved. God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Verse 6, you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars. God hates that. See that you're not alarmed. It must take place, but the end is not yet. Would you say that? with me those five words the end is not yet let's say it together the end is not yet remember that when you watch the news this week verse 7 through 8 let's read on the bible says for nation will rise against nation for kingdom against kingdom there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are but the beginning of the birth pangs many of us wonder out loud when we see the Earth begin to shake all over the world. Many of us wonder out loud, what's going on? Is this, is this what's happening? We think about famine. Can, can we just have this conversation? How is it with all of our technology and with all that we know, how are there still pockets of such substantial famine? And I know it's better than it's been in a long time, but have we not figured that out yet? Well, because God said it would be with us. The poor you will always have with you. Why? Because the world is broken and we just can't get it all to work right. We never will until it's made new. Doesn't mean we don't try to help our neighbor throw our hands up. It's like the person who said, um, I don't have the gift of mercy. So they trip people and laugh when they fall. That's not what we're talking about. Or I don't have the gift of giving. So they hold their hands like this as the offering plate goes by. No, 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 that's, that's not what we're saying. We don't stick our heads in the ground just because they'll always be poor among us. We serve selflessly those who are not like us and who have needs. But there's still famine in the land. I was shocked. I didn't remember in my history lessons just how vital Ukraine was to feed much of the world with the grain that they export. Until what? Until a war broke out on their soil. We don't have to hunt for these things anymore. It's playing out in front of us. We don't have to stretch some urban legend and to make a prophetic point. We haven't needed to do that for generations. We're seeing these things play out right in front of us. And these things that we're seeing, the Bible says, are the beginning of the birth pain. Something new is coming. Something new is coming. Birth pains are awful, I've heard. Careful to add that last two words, right? Birth pains can be intense, I've heard. I'm not experienced. But it means something new is coming. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. Let's read on verses 9 through 13 this morning. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Just on the surface there, who's the they in the text? Go back to the previous verse, brother, if you don't mind. Who's the they that it says, and and they will deliver you up? Well, the they is mankind, those outside the faith, those who are hostile to Christ. There were those, remember in John, we talked about this, there were those who said no thanks to Jesus, and then there were those who said no way, no how, I'm going to make trouble. This is who we're talking about. Whether they know it or not, they are agents of the devil himself. Jesus said in Matthew 12, He who is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It says they'll deliver up to tribulation. Now, it's interesting, the language here, there's prophetic, and then he's going to change gears in verse 15 and on, which we won't touch this morning, but he's going to talk about a period of tribulation that's referred to by the prophet Daniel. But can we just say that God-haters make life hard even now? They resist the light of the gospel. Men love darkness rather than light. It says they'll put you to death. Religious persecution is at an all-time high right now for Christians. Right now it is. If you don't believe me, check out Open Doors Ministry to see what's going on around the globe. Many will fall away. We're seeing that. Betrayal within the church as wolves creep in in sheep's clothing. We're seeing that. Lawlessness is normalized. We're seeing that. Folks will not know how to love others well. Shocker. We're seeing that now. False teachers will lead people away from Jesus. Does this sound like the future or like 2023? Yeah, this is, it's crazy how much of this is happening right now in front of us. I want to address the rest of the passage very quickly. The Bible teacher in me needs to talk about the views that come as great thinkers in Christianity. Look at this text. Many of them look at what Jesus describes in the following verses, in verses 15 and on, and say all of this has already happened. This has all already happened. Uh, Now, I want to say, first of all, Jesus says exactly what he means to say, and he says it the way he means to say it. But in 2023, even with all of our smarts, some of these men have more degrees than a thermometer, but they come up and say all this has already happened. And you go, and they make a compelling case. You go, wow, that's, that's something. And you put that book away on the shelf, and then you pick up this book, and the guy says, none of this has happened. We've not seen any of this. Not one bit of this happened. Every bit of this is in the future. And you go, wow, that's pretty compelling. I think I'm with him now. Then you kind of look at the Bible, and you look around, and you look at the Bible, and you look around, and you kind of mesh the two books together. That's where I am, because some of this, if you look at history, has happened, is happening, and some of it clearly has not happened. I mean, it's just where it is. The reality is, um, there's a lot in the not yet category in biblical prophecy and in apocalyptic language. And there's a lot in the, yeah, I see where historical events match that. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you have been to Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina? The approach is unlike anything else. When you're driving up, it may not show up great on the screen, it looks really good on the TV behind you. So if you all turn around, you look like you're looking at David Cameron, you can wave at everybody watching online. But on the approach, you can see the, the man's face. You see his head looking up, you're like, that's Grandfather Mountain. You can see his nose, you can see all the things, right? And you feel so intelligent. And then you get up there and you can't see anything. 
Like you're on a peak, you're like, where's his nose? Am I on his nose or am I on an eyeball? Is this a booger? What am I, where am I standing, right? And so you're standing there, you don't know what's going on. When you get to Grandfather Mountain, the closer you get, you realize the further apart those peaks are. There's quite some distance between them. In fact, Grandfather Mountain, as an example, when you're standing on the private part of Grandfather Mountain, you can only access the other peaks by completely leaving Grandfather Mountain, entering through a state park this way and then a state park that way. I mean, you can't even, the old timers used to say, you can't get there from here. And you can't. I want you to keep that in mind when you're thinking about this passage in Matthew 24. Jesus is kind of casting the future like this. He's painting this picture. But as you dive in and look, you see this is happening in this scope of time. And this is happening in this scope. It's the now and the not yet and the way off. It's all of that, but it's all the promise of God and it's all true. Let's keep that in mind when you're working through biblical prophecy and apocalyptic language. But even with all of that, the command and the plan is still the same. Be careful who you listen to. Don't be alarmed. Look at verse 13 with me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Third point this morning. Trust God to keep you. Trust God to keep you. He's talked about the love of many growing cold. He's talked about uh, folks not knowing how to love and betraying one another. But the true Christian doesn't live that way. The true Christian will endure Till the end. Now, whether this reads at the end of the period of persecution or the end of one's life, or as I think it reads, I think it reads as both, those who are in Christ are safe. Did you hear me? Those who are in Christ are safe. You are safe from divine wrath. You are saved to experience the full blessing of Jesus Christ both now and for eternity. Jesus is the treasure worth living for now. And He's going to be worth all eternity. Amen? Hallelujah. We are kept by the power of God. Paul would write to Timothy encouraging his young pastor's heart as he pastored there in Ephesus and said, I'm not ashamed. I know in whom I have believed. I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what He has entrusted to me. Your security is in the hands of the King of glory this morning. Trust God to keep you Trust God to keep you. Lastly this morning, of all the things that we see here for in this plan, so far, they've really been to calm us down. Have you noticed that? Be careful who you listen to. Okay, okay. I can just hear um, Kylie Thiel talking me down, right? Kylie, I'm having a problem. Okay, let's deal with you. Be careful who you're listening to. Okay, yes, all right, I hear that, I hear that. But you know, so-and-so said, Chad, be careful, you're listening. Second thing, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You, hear, you can hear my heart rate starting to fade a little bit. Third thing, trust God. Trust the Lord. What great advice, right? I mean, that's just, you put that on a little card and walk around with that. Just put that on a post-it note, stick it on your forehead, and have a great day at work. But just calm down. But can I tell you something? Those three things that are happening here, you can do those in your prayer closet, and you should. You can do those at your morning table and devotions with God, and you should. None of those things advance the kingdom. That's just getting you where the Lord wants you to stay. 
The, the fourth thing the Lord gives us this morning in the plan of action. Yes, be careful who you listen to. Yes, don't be alarmed. Yes, trust that God will keep you. And now that you are calmed by His presence and promise, look at the marching order in verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Shocker. We've met, right, Grace? Almost five years we've been together. Can you guess what the fourth point is this morning? Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why you have air in your lungs today. <laughs> That's why God gave you a heartbeat today to get out of bed, to worship Him in the beauty of His holiness and to tell others about Jesus. We see suffering and we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And God says, be comforted, go make disciples. We see wars and cry, how long? And God says, until you've preached the gospel to the whole world and all nations. We see increasing hostility toward the church and we say, Lord, help us. And God says, I am helping you. I have helped you. Get out of your prayer closet and go tell people the life-saving message about how I came on a rescue mission from heaven to deliver them from the wrath to come. Get about the Father's business. You calm at home doesn't help anybody but you. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be built up in your most holy faith. But a, a sponge that never gets wrung out sours. You can be healthy at home and all your neighbors go to hell, having never heard. Let me tell you the saddest moment about our trip to Brazil. At the Charlotte airport, we're at the gate and one of our people turns to a passenger waiting for his plane, just like we were. And our team leader, Stephen, Pastor Stephen says, Jesus loves you, brother. Have you ever heard that before? He said, I've never heard that before. What are you talking about? In Charlotte, North Carolina. You say, we got to go to Brazil to reach unreached people groups. Talk to your neighbors and the nations. God says, I'm a very present help in the time of trouble. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Say, I want to feel God with me. Here's the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us as we go. You will feel Him with you. I believe that. You say, well, that's... That's that Great Commission verse in Matthew. Here it is in Mark. This, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24 reads, Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His names to all nations beginning from the center of the world, Jerusalem. John's gospel said, peace be with you. Yes, Lord, give us peace. Peace be with you. Thank you, Jesus, for peace. And then he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You weren't saved to sit or to soak. You were saved to go. Acts 1.8 says, and you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, the center of the world. And then all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's one thing to be bothered by what we see. We should be bothered. We should be appalled. We should be uh, really moved with compassion by what we see. But in times like these, 
I want to tell you God's plan for the church. We need to be careful who we're listening to. We need to be careful who we listen to. Anything, even a biblical view or, or, or somebody's view, rather, not biblical, but somebody's view or their thing about end times, they can elevate that above Christ Himself. We need to be careful. Be careful. Anything that takes your eyes off Jesus is not worth listening to. In times like these, God's people should not be in a state of panic. We should not be alarmed. We should be the calmest people on planet earth because we know in whom we have believed and know that He is able to keep that which we've entrusted to Him. In times like these, we should trust God more, not less. He's in charge. <laughs> He's on the throne and He is not in a state of crisis. And in times like these, God's people should be about the Father's business telling everybody everywhere about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your friends and family need the truth whether they want it or not. Sometimes God permits what He hates on the national stage to accomplish what He loves in our homes and in our families. In times like these, Will you post more conspiracy theories and talk about news feeds than you will introduce people to the only hope for eternity? As Julia comes this morning, we have a plan. The church knows what to do. It's what we were created for. It's what we were saved for. I've come to tell you this morning, as humbly as I know how, I don't believe it's a misapplication of the Old Testament phrase. I believe God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. The question is, are you just going to sit on that? Or will you let God send you to the neighbors and nations that need the gospel? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I am keenly aware that there are folks watching here that are posers. They're good at church, but they have no living relationship with you. They don't think of themselves as really bad enough to need you in their lives. They're wealthy. Uh, they have no need that they can identify that is a felt need, God. But your word says all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And our sin leads us to death. They think they can work their way out of it or church attendance is somehow being kept in heaven or good deeds or philanthropy, God. But your word says in Ephesians 2 that we can do nothing for our salvation. It's a gift from you. Lord, I pray they be reminded this morning of the good news from 1 John that your blood cleanses from sin and it's the only thing that can and they need their sins forgiven. And that they would take a hold of the best news right now and receive forgiveness and eternal life through Christ Jesus, the resurrected and soon returning King of glory. God, I don't want us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be found weighed in the balances and wanting when you return. Spend us for your glory. Send us for your glory. In times like these, the world needs a Savior. In Jesus' name.